0: Well, it is so good to be with you this morning. Thanks to those of you who are visiting today. Maybe you dropped your kids off at VBS this week. That was your uh, introduction to West Bowles. Thank you for taking a chance on us. And we hope your kids were so blessed this week by everything that they experienced. Uh, if it's your first time here, fill out that little connection card for us there in that bulletin of yours. Turn it into the I'm New table. We'd love to get to meet you, get to know you, tell you more about West Bowles, give you some gifts for being here today. Uh, just grateful that you are here with us this weekend. I know that we do have a lot of visitors VBS is a is a, a huge outreach for us and so let me just take a minute or two and to catch you up a little bit on where we've been this summer in our sermon series called Overcome. Uh, in 1 Samuel 17, uh, we read a story about God's people preparing to go to battle against an enemy nation they have fought many times before known as the Philistines. But in this particular chapter, as you begin to read 1 Samuel 17, you will realize no one's fighting. In fact, nobody's been fighting for a long, long time, almost a month and a half. Uh, the two armies are literally at a standstill. They're sitting on opposite sides of this valley here, the valley of Elah. This is the actual place where this story took place. And one army is on that hillside there to your right, there's on the, the hillside to the left, and they're just kind of staring at each other. It's kind of an old-fashioned Old Testament staring contest, if you will, and no battle has been taking place at all. Here's why. Because every day, a a Philistine champion, the text says, steps out from his tent on that far hillside, and he issues a challenge. The challenge that he issues is this, a one-on-one, mano-a-mano, winner-take-all, fight to the death. Instead of both armies fighting each other and multiple men dying hundreds and maybe thousands of men dying this champion says you know what let's just have one man from one side fight one man from the other side and those two will determine the fate of the war and thus determine the fate of the entire country but here's the thing the man who's making this challenge is philistine oh he was no ordinary man he was huge he was the biggest baddest dude you have ever seen someone like me um, but add a few more feet, a couple hundred pounds, and a lot more muscle, and that's exactly the image uh, that you'd have. No, he was, he was huge. The text tells us he's about 10 feet tall. He's carrying 125 pounds of armor, and he has to have a personal assistant carry his shield. His name is Goliath. And I'd put money on the fact that he was really hairy and smelled really bad, right? When you're, when you're that big, you just you just have to. It just kind of goes with the territory, But in addition to his size, here's the thing. He's undefeated when it comes to death matches. That's kind of how it works when you're in that line of work, isn't it? You're either undefeated or you're dead. Well, this guy's never lost a battle before. And every day, this beast of a man steps out on the one hillside and calls out God's people on the other hillside. But for 40 days straight, God's people are are so timid, they're so weak, they're so scared of this giant. For 40 days straight, no one has stepped up to the challenge. So the giant kind of ups the ante a little bit. He begins to hurl insults and taunts. From the hillside, the giant begins to scream out, you, you are so weak and pathetic, None of you, not a single one of you is strong enough or brave enough to stand against me. You call yourself men. You call yourself warriors, the giant says. No, you're little girls. Worse than that, little dogs. You're pathetic, just like your God. Then he spits on the ground and probably kicks the dirt, right? You know it, and I know it, the giant says. And no one is man enough to show otherwise. This happens for 40 days straight. It's the story of David and Goliath, right? And although we typically read that story like it's some children's tale that you would, you would play out or, or act out during VBS or some Old Testament fable just, you know, meant to encourage you or whatnot, you know what? All of us, I think, are living in a very similar situation. That, that story is actually a description of our, of our lives. Every single one of us is going to, or, or currently is, or maybe can reflect back on a time when we faced a giant. It was an obstacle, a hurdle, a foe of some sort that just tried to take us out. Day after day after day, it did all it could to defeat us. Now sure, it doesn't come in the form of a, a 10-foot hairy guy wearing 125 pounds of armor. Our giants look like guilt or shame, or pride, or addictions, or depression, or complacency. But all those things, they're just like Goliath. They're trying to take you out. See, some of us, we can't imagine a life where we don't feel sad all the time. Some of us, we don't have the slightest clue what living courageously or confidently would even look like or or feel like. Some of us are always afraid or paranoid that the worst thing is going to happen. Or we believe that we've messed up too bad that no one would ever love us again, especially God. Or we think that we aren't enough on our own and so we need a little extra boost. So we need some porn or some pills or some some procedure. Or we get angry at the slightest thing. I mean, just the smallest thing can just set us right off. That's what you call a giant, my friend. That's what you call a giant. And they don't just go away over time. Like the story in 1 Samuel, they tend to get bigger and badder and more boisterous over time. Goliath taunted God's people for 40 days straight. But for some of us, we're like, that's nothing. I've faced this giant for years. I've faced this giant for decades. And although we like to think that we're strong enough to get past all of this stuff, to defeat all of these giants on our own, truth be told, we're we're just not. We're like the men in 1 Samuel 17, and we hear the taunts of the enemy, we hear the giant talking all kinds of trash to us, and we just kind of shudder, we just kind of shirk back, we're just not sure how to overcome the giant, so we just hope that over time it'll take care of itself, but we're just so overwhelmed by the giant's presence, so overwhelmed by the giant's power, so overwhelmed by these proclamations that he's making in our life every single day. And so we need someone to come to our rescue, someone to come to our aid. We need someone to show up and do for us what we can't do on our own. We need a David, do we not? And luckily for us, we have one. His name is Jesus. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus Christ is the only one, this side of heaven or the other, that can help you overcome whatever giant you are facing. He is greater than all the other giants. Amen, my friends. He can. He can help you overcome those things through his, his teachings, his example, his death, his resurrection, his spirit, anything connected to Jesus, everything connected to Jesus can help you overcome whatever giant is standing in your way. God has designed for you to live an abundant life, and anything that comes against that is not of him and needs to be removed. And Jesus is the one that can help you do that. So this morning, as we're kind of wrapping up the series in the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about a giant that, man, for some of us, feels like 10 giants, maybe even, maybe even 100 giants. A young man is driving a huge dump truck on a very tight mountain road that goes along the edge of a very steep cliff. Well, wouldn't you know it? The truck loses traction, right, that slides off the edge, and it falls 500 feet to the bottom of the valley where, just for dramatic sake, it bursts into flames. Luckily, the young man, though, is able to jump out of the truck before it falls off and goes tumbling to the bottom, but he finds himself just barely hanging on for dear life to this tree branch up at the top of the cliff. Please help me, the young man starts to scream. Is anybody up there? In a flash, he hears a voice from heaven. Yes, I'm here, the Lord says. What do you need? Oh, I'm not sure, not sure if you could see this or not, God, but, but I'm kind of in, I'm in a tough spot right here, a bit, of, a bit of trouble. Can you save me? Of course, God says. I just need you to trust me. So go ahead and let go of the tree. After looking over his shoulder at the smoldering truck below and the 500-foot drop underneath him, the young man yells out, Is anybody else up there? Have you ever felt that way, though? Have you ever felt like God, he didn't come through the way you had hoped he would come through, that he wasn't coming through in the way that you would, you'd pray he'd come through? Have you ever felt let down by God, disappointed in God? Have you ever felt abandoned by God, maybe even angry with God? I think a vast majority of us have, if we're honest. I mean, what else are we supposed to feel in a world where, where some parents have to bury their children? Or where some young children lose their parents? What else are you supposed to feel in a world where where people that we love go away to war and never come back? Or where natural disasters take out some homes but leave others totally untouched? What what are you supposed to feel when, when a child is born with severe disabilities or taken from us before they're even born? When a spouse leaves us or an employer turns their back on us, what are you supposed to feel? Except angry and frustrated I mean, life is hard. If you've ever found yourself in any of those situations, you've probably also found yourself thinking, saying, or maybe screaming at the top of your lungs, what are you thinking up there? What are you, what are you doing up there? Have you, have you lost your marbles, God? Do you even care about me at all? I don't even know if it's worth believing in you anymore because of what's happening to me right now. Others of us probably would, uh, would see that as being disrespectful to God. So we wouldn't shake an angry fist up at heaven, but we'd pent up all this anger inside. We'd act like we're okay with God, but man, inside, we are so mad at him. We don't want to seem disrespectful or unfaithful, but we are so mad. In moments like that, I imagine that hurt and resentment, frustration, disappointment, for some, and all-out hatred can develop deep within your spirit towards God. Author Max Lucado calls this the but-God dynamic. But-God. It's something that we read in 1 Chronicles 28. In that text, the young David who slew the, the giant Goliath, who killed that giant in 1 Samuel 17, well, now he's at the end of his life. And this David, he's reflecting on all that has happened over the course of his life, and he says this. King David rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my fellow Israelites, my people. I had it in my heart To build a house is a place of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God. And I made plans to build it. But God said to me, you are not to build a house for my name, because you are a warrior and you have shed blood. Did you catch it? I mean, it's just two little words, but they communicate so much. But God, but God. God, See, David desperately desired to build a temple for God, a house, a monument, a space that honored him so much more than the pop-up tent they had been using for so many years. He had it in his heart. I love that that text, right? I had it in my heart. He desired this so much. I mean, he wanted this more than a preteen girl wants to go see her favorite boy band at Red Rocks, right? David wanted this more than Ryan, our community life director, wants to meet the cast of The Bachelor, And he wants that bad, right? David wanted it even more than that. He made plans, right? He made preparations. This was his heart's desire, to build the temple for God. But God said no. But God stopped him. But God didn't let him go through with his plans, because God had different plans Many of us know exactly how this feels. God, you could have, but you didn't. God, you should have, but you didn't. God, you promised you would, but you didn't. But God, we prayed fervently for that person that we love so much to be miraculously healed of their cancer. Hundreds of people prayed with us. Hundreds of people prayed for us. We received visions, prophetic messages of healing. But God didn't heal them. Man, we just knew this young person who was so full of life and energy and passion and faith, we just knew they were gonna change the world for good. But God took them from us at such an early age. Man, we asked for protection from the storm, for the rains to stop, not just for the jamboree, but more significant, right, issues. We wanted the winds to cease, but God allowed them to get even more intense, and we lost everything. Now, we worked so hard to position ourselves. This one opportunity looked like the perfect fit for us. We We asked God to open doors that no man could open. We cried out for our heart's desire. This one job, this one internship, this one relationship, it was just perfect. It was meant for me. But God shut the door on it. God didn't allow it to come through. Maybe one of those situations strikes a chord with you. Maybe it's something totally different. But we all know what it feels like to want, to hope for, to set it in our hearts, to do something, to have something, to be a part of something, and for God to say no. Mother Teresa once said, if this is the way you treat your friends, God, it's no wonder you have so few of them. If this is the way you treat your friends, it's no wonder you have so few of them. And if you've ever felt that way, you're not alone. I mean, Mother Teresa, obviously, other people in this room, but the Bible is full of examples of folks who have been so angry with the Lord. Job was a man who lost everything in this world, his flocks, his family, even his own health. God allowed the enemy to take it all from him. Afterward, Job says this to God, even today, my complaint is bitter. His hand, God's hand is heavy in spite of my groaning. If only I knew where to find him, when I could go to his dwelling, I would state my case before him. I'd fill my mouth with arguments. But if I go to the east, he's not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he's at work in the north, I do not see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. Job is not only angry at God because of what's happened, but now he's angry because God is nowhere to be found. I can't ever talk to you. You won't come and explain why this is happening. How about the words of the prophet Habakkuk? Habakkuk 1-2. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? How, how long do I have to cry out violence, but you don't save? How about the statement of Mary and Martha in John 11? After Jesus seemingly lets their brother, maybe Jesus' best friend, die for no good reason. John eleven twenty one. 21 Lord, Martha said, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, you can just hear the disappointment, right, and the anger in the words. If you had been here, if you had come through, if you were who you said you were, if you were doing what you were capable of doing, if you had just shown up, man, none of this would have happened. Where were you? What's wrong with you? See, the Bible, which I love, does not hide the scars and the anger and the angst of the people who follow God. But for a lot of us, anger towards God is not just something that we feel from time to time. Anger towards God is something that we wrestle with all the time. See, anger for many of us turns from this emotion to this giant. This giant that literally blocks our view from seeing anything and everything else. When you thought Goliath was big, not compared to the anger someone feels because they had to bury their three-week-old little baby boy. You think Goliath's big? Not compared to the frustration someone feels because for some reason, God allowed a drunk driver to be on that random stretch of road at the exact same time that they were. You think Goliath is big? Not compared to the resentment someone feels because every single door shuts in their face and now they're struggling to make ends meet. You think Goliath's big? Not compared to the anger some of us feel towards the Lord. It is a giant for us. And so many of us, right, we try to hide it or we try to placate it. Yeah, I'm doing okay. No, no, don't fake it. God knows exactly how you feel. You don't need to hide it, ignore it, suppress it. The question is, how do you deal with it? What are you supposed to do when you are so ticked off at the one who claims to be your friend, your guide, your shepherd, your lover, your safeguard, your good, good father, when nothing in life seems to suggest that he's any of those things? See, thus far in our series, we've been talking about how you go to God to help overcome these giants. Well, what about when the giant is God? What about when it's your feelings towards God? What do you do do then? Well, I think David gives us the answer in that same speech in 1 Chronicles 28. Because right after he says, but God said no to me, but God changed my plans, but God thwarted the desires of my heart, he says something else. Check this out, 1 Chronicles 28. Yet the Lord... The God of Israel chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as a leader, and from the tribe of Judah, he chose my family. And from my father's sons, he was pleased to make me king over all of Israel, of all my sons, and the Lord has given me many. He's chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son, is the one who will build my house and my courts, for I've chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. There's so much in that text. Let me just point out one thing. It's easy to miss, but it's just a small combination of words again. Just like that but God packs so much in, there's another phrase that David says that I think packs even more in. It might even be more important than the other phrase. This little part of the speech is a way that you begin to make little bits of headway with your anger towards God. He says, yet the Lord. We'll say, yet God. See, all of the but God moments in this life, they have to be framed within the context of the yet God moments. All of the heartache and all of the hardship that you experience have to be framed within the phrase of yet God. But God, yet God. Now, I'm fully aware that this topic is so deep and so heavy for so many of us, theologians have debated this for hundreds of years, so 32 minutes and one catchphrase isn't gonna do it. I totally get that. But I honestly think this phrase is the beginning for many of you to make a step closer to God, especially when you're so angry with Him. But God, yet God. See, for David, it revolved around his desire to build the temple. He wanted that so badly, but God said no. But God said, you're not the one to do it. But God said, your heart's desire is not gonna come to fruition in that way. Yet God had a plan. Yet God chose someone else out of his house to build that temple. Yet God needed David to do something different. You with me? But God, yet God. And I don't know how this is gonna play out in your life. I don't know how it's gonna manifest or or become true. I just just know that it will. This is truth. Truth. And outside of God's love for you and Christ's resurrection from the dead, this is quite possibly the most important truth there is. Philippians 1.6, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus returns. Proverbs 16.4, the Lord works out everything to its proper end Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. See, the scripture makes it clear God is always up to something. I love that about our God. He never tires, he never grows weary, he never takes a night off. He's always working on something. He's always working out and working towards something. That is true for you, my friend, and that is true for everything you've ever gone through. The pain you're experiencing, the loss you've endured, the burden you've had to carry, the anger that is pent up inside. Yes, it's real, yes, it's confusing, yes, it's exasperating, but God, but it's not the end of your story, or yet God, right? Yet God has more in store for you. He's not finished yet. The product that you are is not the finished product. That The destination where you are is not the final destination. So much more is yet to come for you. So much more is yet to come. Which means if on the highway of life you don't like what you see in the rear view, or on the highway of life you don't like what's happening in, in the windows right now, you don't like the current situation, just hold on. You have no idea where you're going. It is so good, I promise you. Reminds me of the family vacation we took just a few weeks ago to North Carolina. I had some family out there, and so we drove from Raleigh out to the coast about three or four hours. I'm not a huge East Coast guy. I don't know much about it, but I was kind of overwhelmed. Anybody ever see like the, the bush out there? It's like a whole di- different de- definition of vegetation, right? Like are you, so, I didn't know things could grow that thick. I mean, on the highway, I felt like I was in a tunnel up on I-70. I mean, you can't see five feet in either direction. So we're driving for a few hours, and my nine-year-old has something to say. She says, Dad, you're lost, aren't you? The beach isn't anywhere close to here. And after about two and a half hours, I started to believe her. I thought, you might be right. But I kid you not, it's as if we were suddenly in one of those movie scenes, right, where the skies part and the angels oh, start singing. Suddenly... We pass through the tree line. We drive through the forest and we see the most glorious white sandy beach, man, we have ever seen. But the trees for hours and hours gave no indication that we were anywhere close to our destination, anywhere close to anything good for that, man. Those those bushes, it's just chiggers up in there. I am not going to go in those trees. That's like hell in in those trees, right? Like we're driving through hell. I'm so scared. And then suddenly... There it was. The angst, the nervousness, the accusations from my nine-year-old backseat driver. But it, it, was all, it was all worth it. Because all of those, all those things, all those things led us to this one thing. That was so beautiful and, and so good. I mean, we couldn't see it for so many hours. We didn't know it. I started to distrust it. But then suddenly, suddenly it showed up. Suddenly I believed, oh, my word, the beauty of the sea was just on the other side of my limited view in these trees. You with me? I think that is symbolic of the but God, yet God dynamic. But God has you in this place where you can't even see straight. You have no clue what's going on. You feel like you're driving through hell. And yet God, yet God's got something for you. Yet God's working on something just just past that tree line, there's so much more yet to come. Just ask Joseph, just ask Mary, just ask Jesus. The but gods in this life are very real, are they not? But the yet gods are just as real. Let me wrap it up with two stories, and then we'll get you out of here. The first is from history, the second from my own life. Let's do the first from history. A young pastor was a few years into his new role, um, he was thoroughly rebuked, though, by his super, uh, superiors and supervisors. And this, this caught him by complete shock and just destroyed his spirit because he had spent the last couple of years just serving the Lord so faithfully. All the money that he brought in through his, through his work he ended up giving away to those in the community. I mean, his robe was all beat up and junky. His house was super minimal. He was like lying on dirt floors. He was just giving everything he had to God and the small town that he was ministering to. He thought he was doing the Lord's work. Well, obviously his bosses didn't see eye to eye. The bishops didn't agree with him. And they came in. They said, he's a disgrace to the cloth. He's not doing the work the Lord would want him to do or in the way that he would want him to do it. You talk about a but God moment. I had it set in my heart, this young pastor would say like David did. But God ripped it from me. But God allowed these men to destroy my spirit. So he's processing and praying about all of this, and while he's doing that, he took out a small pad of paper, and began to draw a picture of the person sitting a few feet away from him on a park bench. Turns out he had a knack for drawing and actually a love for it. This man was Vincent van Gogh. Turned out to be the greatest, one of the greatest artists of all time. Yet God. You see, yet yet God had something else in store. Yet God's plan was a little different than him serving in that way. He wanted him to bless the world in this way. But God, yet God. Second story. A few years ago, our family experienced a huge but God moment. Uh, My mother-in-law went from having a slight pain in her side to stage four uterine cancer in 24 hours. For 18 long months, she fought the evil that is cancer with everything that she had. Chemo, radiation. I mean, she started drinking the grossest shakes you've ever seen in your entire life. We prayed fervently for her healing. I mean, she was the anchor, the matriarch of our family. She was the one that would get us all together, who kept us all together, the one who planned our meals, prepared our activities and our trips. She would watch the kids in a moment's notice. She just retired after 30 years of teaching. She's gonna spend the next season of her life traveling the world with her husband. So we had all kinds of other people praying alongside of us, man. She was gonna be miraculously healed. The elders here even anointed her with oil, claiming the promises of James over her life, but God allowed her to die, but God took her from us, but God said no, and I wish, friends, I wish I had a story of the yet God, I wish I could be like, yet God, we just don't yet, We just don't yet. I I could tell you a lot of things about how people have come to faith because of her story and her testimony and her blog. I could tell you how some family relationships have been strengthened because of all that. I could tell you how Becca has ministered to countless other people who've lost family members to cancer. I could tell you all those things. And those are some yet God moments, are they not? But I don't think it's the entirety of it. I think there's a lot more to come. We're still waiting for and hoping to see the yet God. And that's all you can really do when you're given a but. God moment. I mean, your other options, just to be honest with you, they just stink. You can curse God and and die. You can believe it's all random and meaningless. You can think the cosmos are out to get you. You can hope the next time you're reincarnated, things are going to work out better for you. Or you can trust that there is a big God who loves you so much, who's up to something. You can believe with all your heart that the God who took from you is going to give back to you. You can believe that this life is just a precursor for the life to come. You can believe all that, and that's, that's where I'm at. I'm waiting. Oh, there was a but God, and I was so mad. I set it in my heart to enjoy life with this woman for a long, long time, but you took her away from me. And yet, I believe you've got something up your sleeve. Yet I know something is coming. I know Van Goghs are born out of disappointment. Beauty comes from ashes, and life comes out of a grave. You with me? I believe in the yet God. I believe there is so much more to come. I believe God's got something up his sleeve. So but God, yet God, I don't know where you are on that continuum, where you are on that spectrum, but I just pray that maybe, maybe this morning, Maybe something said, your anger, your frustration towards God will slowly, it doesn't, it doesn't happen over, overnight, That it will slowly just morph into trust in God, morph into belief in God, transform into praise for God. But God, but you did this, yet God promises to do so much more. You with me? That's my hope and my prayer for you today. Let me pray over you and we'll get you out of here. God, we all acknowledge that life is hard. It is so good and so sweet at times. So many beautiful things. Even this morning, seeing these kids up on stage, God, 250 kids singing your praise. Oh, I love that. So sweet. So beautiful, Father. So many wonderful things in this life. But, but we gotta be honest and real with you. There's some really hard things in this life, too. Some things that are weighing some of us down right now, God. Some things that have weighed us down for decades. A giant. And maybe we never put words to it before, God, but it's our anger towards you. It's our frustration towards you. And it's because of those but God moments. We knew you could have. We thought you, you would have. The scripture said you probably should have, but you didn't. But you didn't. You took our heart's desires, God, like David, and you kind of crushed them. Lord, It hurts. And we don't want to accuse you of anything, God. We don't know all that you know. We don't want to stand here and act like we know better, that we could be a better God than you can. But, Lord, we are still hurting. We're still mad. And so would you help us? Would you help us to see that it's not but God, period, that it's but God, dot, 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 because there's more to come. In David's story, it was that you had a plan for his family. That plan had been seen throughout all of time, God. Nothing threw you off. And so we didn't want it to throw David off either. It wasn't David who was going to build that temple, God. It was his son Solomon. Your plan was better than David's was. It was different than David's was. It was more glorious than David's was. And so help us to have that same faith that there is always a yet God taking place in whatever we are going through. You are doing something to us, in us, through us, God. Our lives are not about us. They are about this world. You came to seek and save all that is lost, and you're going to use us to do it, Father. And so would we see that no matter what we're going through, God, it might be something that you are using to bring salvation and healing and hope to this entire world. Help us not to get stuck in that angry spot. We know you're not mad at us when we're mad at you, and we thank you for that. Thank you for being so big that you can take our raw emotion, but be so big in our life, God, that you show us. Show us the beach. Show us what's going to take place on the other side of this tree line. We're stuck, some of us, in this dark place. Help us to believe there is so much more to come. Help us to believe you got something up your sleeve, God. Help us to know that what is yet to come is so much better than anything and everything that has been already. Help us to know there's always a yet God, yet the Lord. Oh, we can't wait for the day when we all get to tell our story of but God, yet God. Thank you for never giving up on us. Help us to never give up on you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.